Today we begin our study in the book of Romans. We'll be in it for the next nine months or so. We probably could spend ten years, but so incredible book. Ray Stedman in his commentary on Romans says this. It is safe to say that Romans is probably the most powerful human document ever written. It has changed more lives probably than any other book of the Bible. St. Augustine, who was a man in the third, fourth century A.D., studying the book of Romans, a verse from chapter 13 transformed his life. He became one of the most influential men ever in history, influenced the church dramatically. Martin Luther, who in the 16th century was the one who really was the power behind the Reformation that changed Christendom forever, was a monk who was seeking to obey God and couldn't ever seem to do it, was reading some of Augustine's writings, which pointed him to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, which we'll be looking at this morning. And he gave his life to Christ, discovered faith, and kicked off the Reformation. John Wesley, in the 18th century, happened to be reading Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And as he says, his heart was strangely warmed, his life was transformed, and thus began the great awakening that again reinvigorated Christianity in the 18th century. And on and on, we could go on and on, but let me just say this, if I only could choose one book of the Bible, and that's all I had to study, it would be Romans. Romans is a wonderful, wonderful book because it's the most complete explanation of our faith anywhere in scriptures. Now, let me give you a little historical background. Let me give you the setting. Around 57 A.D., it was written, Paul's on his third missionary journey, which is shown by the line. And uh, if you can see the farthest left here, over he was in Corinth down at the bottom line there, and he wrote the book of Romans. He wanted to go to Rome, which was up on the boot of Italy there, the far left corner, upper left corner of the map there. That's where he longed to go, to Rome, because Rome was the crossroads of the entire Roman Empire, of course. It was the center. It's where the emperor lived. So Paul longed to go there. But he was in Corinth and had a gift for the poor in Jerusalem and had to go there first. So he wrote this book of Romans, knowing there was a church that had been established in Rome, but he'd never been able to be there to teach it and establish it and help it become what it needed to be. There was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in this little church. There were some conflicts going on. They lived in a city in Rome of about a million people. Some have thought maybe up to a million and a half people. Huge city for the day. It was the center of the emperor cult. Where in Rome and the entire Roman Empire, but especially in Rome, Caesar was considered Lord. And the Caesar of the day was Nero, who before long began to persecute Christians. You had to proclaim Caesar as Lord. There was great freedom in the Roman Empire as long as you were willing to proclaim Caesar as Lord. As I said, Nero became the emperor within a few years of the writing of this letter. Nero put Paul and Peter to death. 
in Rome. So it was a difficult place. There was a little church. We didn't know how many, but I would guess, and, and scholars have guessed, maybe there were 100 people in the entire city of a million people seeking to live out their faith, seeking to make it real in this hostile environment. So Paul wrote the book of Romans to give them a solid foundation for their faith so they would know how to walk with Jesus in the midst of a difficult world and a difficult life. And it talks mostly and about the whole gospel, the good news, that God has made a way for us to be righteous. Now, that's a word that occurs. The root of that occurs over 60 times in the book of Romans, the word righteous. Big theological term, but really all it means is to be made right. To be made right in our relationship with ourself. To be made in our right in our relationship with God. And to be made right in our relationship with one another as well. To be put right. To be in right relationships. So that's why Paul wrote this book, because he wanted to encourage them to understand their faith. Now, let me say, I think this is a very timely message because I think increasingly in this country as Christians, we are becoming more and more like the church in Rome. I was listening to some tapes, teaching tapes by Daryl Johnson, who's a professor at Regent College, and he describes growing up in Southern California. And he said he remembers the first time that a business, which happened to be a gas station, stayed open on a Sunday. Some of you recall those days. And how in school you used to learn all the Christmas carols that are biblically based. How culture used to support Christianity. But increasingly more and more in our culture, Christianity is not being supported by our culture. We are becoming more and more on the fringes of culture where culture is standing against us. And I think it's only going to get worse. In Vancouver, British Columbia, where my son is going to seminary, in 1980, statistics show that 29% of the people were affiliated with the church. 29% in 1980. In 2006, 26 years later, 2.5%. Now, we aren't declining that quickly, but we are declining and we're moving that direction our Christianity will be less and less supported by our culture. So we need to learn to live out our faith when the culture is hostile to us, just as the Romans needed to learn that. We need to learn how to be strong in our faith, how to live it out in an increasingly hostile world. So the book of Romans is a wonderful book to help us do that. Now, If you've studied the book of Romans, if you've read through it, you realize it's a very theological book. It's a very doctrinal book. Not as personal as most of the books, except for the very beginning and the very end. So why is it so important that we study theology, that we study doctrine? Well, Paul tells us in this book, Romans 12, verse 2, many of you have memorized it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world will continue to try to conform us, to squeeze us into its mold. How are we transformed? How do we learn to live differently? By having our minds renewed. By taking on the thinking of God himself. 
by understanding what God says about us, about him, about one another, about our worlds. And when we understand that, then we can be transformed and live as the people of God in this world. So it's critical that we understand the truth about these things. And if we're honest, we've all been influenced by the culture. We've all been conformed to some degree. So every one of us, myself included, has have incorrect views of ourselves, of God, of one another, of this world. Romans helps set us straight. So I'm excited for us. I think this is good for us. I think we're going to go on a great adventure as we journey through this book of Romans. So let's dig in. The beginning of the book, as Tony read for us, Paul begins this way. He introduces himself in verses 1 through 6, and he begins by saying this, Paul, a servant or bond servant, really a slave is the word, a slave, one who is owned by another. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, first of all, in these first few verses, introduces himself as one who is called for the gospel. He's called for the gospel. He declares that he is called for the gospel. He's a slave of Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Describes himself as a slave. He sees Jesus as his Lord, as his master. You see, that's part of the gospel as we come under his authority. And he says, it's called to be an apostle, a sent one. One who is sent into the world to live for Jesus. Set apart, he says, for the gospel of God. And Paul understands this. You know the story in Acts, how Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee. He hated Christians. He was on the road to Damascus carrying letters so he could uh, arrest more Christians there, trying to destroy the church. And Jesus met him on the road to Damascus in a flash of light that blinded him and said, guess what? (laughs) I'm calling you in a new direction. I'm calling you to be my apostle, my sent one. So Paul knew what he was talking about. He'd experienced that calling. He knew he was called to follow Jesus and to live for him. And it changed his life. In June of 1993, I was at a conference in Canada, in Vancouver, Canada, Regent College, when I got a message that there was a phone call for me. And they said it was David Roper calling. I thought, why is David Roper calling me in Canada when I'm at a conference? I was pastoring in Nevada at the time. And he said, we have an opening at Cole Community Church. Would you be willing to consider coming? Well, that call changed my life. God redirected me from there, brought me here, and I've been here ever since. Changed my location, changed the direction of what I was doing, changed my ministry. It changed my life. Similarly for Paul and similarly for you and me, when God calls us, he calls us not to just be a Christian so that we can wait for heaven. He calls us to enter into the kingdom of God, which is something far greater, far bigger. 
He says he's called to serve the gospel, Paul says. Called, set apart for the gospel. Gospel simply means, not a word we use a lot these days, but it simply means good news. The good news. Paul set apart for the good news. What is the good news, though? I mean, if this is what we're set apart for, if this is what we're to live for, if this is what we're offering to people, good news, what is it? What is this good news? See, too often because of the way the world out there understands Christianity, here's what they hear when you invite them to become a Christian. Something like, depending on their background, We're inviting you to come to our church. We want you to learn to follow our rules. (laughs) We want you to come be around a lot of self-righteous hypocrites who will point out your flaws, make you feel guilty, and in the end, take your money. (laughs) Now, isn't that the way a lot of non-Christians look at the church? Tell me, is that good news? That's not good news. And that's why some of you are so hesitant to tell people about Christ. That's not good news, is it? Now, the church is always going to be a struggling institution, but the gospel is not really about the church, though God calls us into the church to try to grow and love one another and change together. But the gospel is this, and Paul tells us in verse 2 and following, he says, I was set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, it was something prophesied in the Old Testament. And then he says this, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. The good news, see, is not about a church, ultimately. It's about a person, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's who we're called to belong to. That's what we share, that this Jesus who was told about in the Old Testament, entered our world to rescue us from our own sin and to call us to be righteous, to be put right with ourselves, with God, and with one another. That's what God has called us to. That is the gospel. That this Jesus came and was declared with power to be the Son of God, to be the Messiah, to be God's anointed one, through the resurrection of the dead. No other religion can claim anything like the resurrection. It was something that could have been disproven. Paul's writing here about 30 years after the resurrection happened. There were many people alive that had seen Jesus risen from the dead. If if it wasn't true, it could have been easily disproven. And Paul says, no, he was declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection of the dead. That's the gospel. It's Jesus who has come to rescue us and he has called you and you can now belong to him and be made righteous, be put right, be changed. So he says this, 
You also, verse 6, are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all the saints, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the Romans, he says, I was called to be an apostle, called into his kingdom, and you were called to belong to Jesus and to be, he says, called to be saints, to be changed, to be put right, and called for the gospel, just as Paul was. Paul was called... And we are called as well. Now, this is good news. (laughs) Called out of a world that's falling apart and that doesn't know how to put anybody right, no matter how hard we try, into the kingdom of God, that we are the beginnings of that, that someday will be fully consummated when Jesus returns. He was called, Paul was, and we are called as well. And I want you to note, Paul is not afraid to challenge the world around him. You see, in this emperor cult in Rome that Paul is writing to, where Nero was emperor, to be part of the Roman Empire, to be a citizen, you had to proclaim. You could could study all kinds of pagan religions. You could be part of all those things as long as you were willing to say, Caesar is Lord. He is the Son of God. Did you know that's what they were required to believe and to say? And notice what Paul says here. Jesus was declared by, with power to be the Son of God. Jesus, not Caesar. And Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. You see, if we're going to follow the kingdom of God, it will mean standing at odds with the culture around us. We've too long in our Western culture kind of just fit into the culture because it's been pretty easy to be a Christian, but it's time to be different, folks. And that's part of the message of this book of Romans. So the encouragement to you and to me is that we were called as well. God has called you and me to live for a new Lord, the Lord Jesus, to follow him, to proclaim the gospel. He's called us to belong to him and to grow to be more like him. He has not called us to be religious, but to be his. He is to be Lord, not materialism, not comfort, Not money, not financial security, not tolerance, which is one of the lords of our culture. No, he is Lord and we are to follow him. So Paul declares himself to be called for the gospel. But he also introduces himself in this next section and and declares himself, demonstrates himself to be committed to the gospel. He's not only called to it, but he is committed to it. He's committed to live for the good news, to share it with the world, and in particular with the Romans here. Verse 8 through 10, he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Notice how Paul thanks God for their faith. He hasn't been there. He knows some of the people because he's met them elsewhere and then they traveled to Rome. We'll see that in chapter 16 as he greets a lot of the people he knows. 
They've traveled there. They've established this church. But he thanks God for their faith. He prays for them and he longs to have a relationship with them so they can encourage one another, even though he has never met them. Even though he's never met them, he loves them and he wants relationship with them. He's pursuing relationship with them. So he says this in verse 11 and 12. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He says, I long to see you so I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Now we know Paul teaches a lot about spiritual gifts. And sometimes this passage is misunderstood. Is he talking about spiritual gifts, the mercy and helps and teaching and knowledge and wisdom and tongues and all the other gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and other places? Is that what he's talking about here? As if he had, you know, a bag of spiritual gifts and he could just sort of impart them to him, to to the different Romans. Well, no, that's not what he's talking about. The word for spiritual gift really means just the spiritual blessing. It doesn't always mean a particular gift, as we know the list of gifts that he talks about later in Romans 12. In fact, he even tells us what he wants to do. That is, verse 12, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I think what he has in mind is that that we might come together and use our spiritual gifts, whatever they are, to encourage each other and build each other up. You see, that's what we're to do in the body of Christ. That's really what the church is all about. When you're called to the gospel, you're also called to relationship with other believers, to mutually build one another up, to use your gifts to build up each other. And notice Paul's the apostle, but he says, wow, I can't wait to be with you because your faith is going to encourage me. It's always mutual. It's always mutual when we grow together. You know that sense of where you come together with someone and different background could be different, um, totally different racial background or whatever it might be, but you come together and you have something in common and you just hit it off because of whatever it is that you have in common. It's kind of what he's talking about here. I love studying New Testament languages, Greek and Hebrew. And when I meet someone else who studies Greek, I get excited. (laughs) You probably don't. (laughs) Okay. But I do because we connect. You know, or maybe you're into quilting. And, you know, I've seen this. Women are, you know, talking about something and they suddenly find out the other person's into quilting too. You're into quilting? Wow, what do you do? And they just start talking about it because they have this connection. Me, I don't get into quilting. <laughs> Not my thing, okay? <laughs> whatever it might be, rock collectors or homeschoolers or whatever it is, when you reach, see that common ground, you have this connection that draws you together. But I think that's what Paul's saying. The greatest connection we have with people is our faith in Christ, where we can encourage one another in our faith. And he says, I long to be with you so we can encourage one another because that is the most important thing about any of us is our faith in Christ. And so we can have a connection with people that are very different in background, in where they come from, in all kinds of things. And it's wonderful to have that connection. He says, that's what I want to have with you. I want to be with you so we can encourage each other. 
See, this is a great picture for us, I think, as believers. Paul's calling from God led to this commitment to the good news that said, you know what, if God has given this to me, I want to give it away. This is the greatest thing I've seen. I want to give it away. And I'm committed to building relationships with people so they can experience it too. Not because I've got it all together. (laughs) I don't. But because I want to share this wonderful thing I've been given. It's a wonderful reminder to us that, see, the gospel sets us free to pursue relationships. People who say, well, I know the gospel. I believe in God, but I do it all on my own. I don't need fellowship. I don't need anybody else. Well, frankly, I don't believe them because the gospel always prompts us to move into relationship, to mutually encourage each other. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing because that is what God always prompts us to do, to be committed to relationship. So how do people receive the good news and grow? How do they? Through relationships, through encouraging one another, through bringing the word one another, just as Paul was doing here and longed to do with them. So Paul demonstrates himself to be called for the gospel, to be committed to the gospel. And then in this last section, he shows himself to be courageous because of the gospel, courageous because of the gospel. Let me read from verse 13 on, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. He says, I'm obligated, I'm indebted to bring the gospel. To you, even you who are in Rome. Now, it doesn't mean that somehow he borrowed something from them and therefore he has to pay it back. That's not what he means by indebted or obligated. But if if one of you gave me a thousand dollars and you said, here, would you give this to so and so? At that point, I would be indebted to that person to give them that thousand dollars, right? That's what God's done. He said, I've given you the gospel. Give it away. Go give it to someone else. Therefore, Paul says, I am indebted to the gospel to give it away. And then he goes on to the theme verses. And these are really the theme verses for the entire book of Romans. He'll unpack these verses through the rest of the book. Verse 16 and 17. These are the verses that changed Martin Luther's life and have changed many other lives where Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In other words, it's for the whole human race, whether they're Jews, Gentiles, that covers everybody. For in the gospel, a righteousness being put right from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. These verses changed Martin Luther's life because, see, he was a monk and he said this at one point. He said, if anyone could be put right, made righteous by their 
monkness. He was a monk. <laughs> Anyone could be put right by their monkness. It was I. You see, he did everything according to the r- rules. He did it all. But when he read these verses, he realized, no, there's a righteousness from God. We can be put right as a gift from God that comes by faith, and it changed his life. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It really is good news. It's the good news for everyone. And so he's courageous instead of ashamed. Even though Roman culture was against Christianity, even though the world around him saw it as a cult, even though it eventually cost him his life when Nero put him to death some seven or eight years later after he wrote these words, he was not ashamed. Why was he not ashamed? Because as he says, it's God's powerful way. It's his rescue operation for setting every human being right. No matter who they are, no matter what your background, it's the answer for everyone. No matter what culture you've come out of. It is the only way, Jesus is the only way for people to become whole. There is no other way. All humans are broken. Every one of us. Broken by sin. And we'll see that in the next couple of chapters as he expands on our brokenness. We're all broken. We're all made to love. We're all made to receive love. We're all made to be free from sin, to do good. And yet we're all twisted We're all selfish. We've been turned inward on ourselves where we become the center of the universe instead of God. And the good news, the gospel, is that he can put us right again. Our daughter, as you know, had a really tough accident over Christmas last year, shattered her heel. Not something you want to do. Doctor said I would much rather she had broken her ankle really badly than shattered her heel because it's a lifelong injury to deal with. She had surgery. They put in a plate and screws and went through nine months of rehab. Well, we found out this summer that she was still in a lot of pain. So two weeks ago, we went to a specialist, Dr. Benershka, in Seattle. And he said, well... You've been walking on a broken foot for the last nine months. It has not healed. But he said, I can fix it. We need to go back in, take the plate out, put in in a new apparatus. We can cause it to heal properly so you won't be walking on a broken foot. But it will mean coming in and going to surgery again. So in December, in Seattle, she'll be having surgery again. You know, that's hard to look forward to, and yet, it's good news. It's good news because she doesn't have to continue walking on a broken foot. He can fix it. He can fix it. Well, see, Paul knew that we're all walking around with broken souls, and that no matter how hard we try to fix it ourselves, no matter how much PT we do, physical therapy, No matter how much we try to fix it, we cannot, but Jesus can. And so, Paul knew that Jesus made us originally, that sin has twisted us, and that only Jesus can put us right again, no matter who we are. Did you know right now in China, 
in Africa, in Latin America, people are coming to Christ by the thousands from cultures very different than ours, and yet they're coming to Christ. Why? Because it's the good news for them, too, not just for us. It's the good news for every human being. It's made for everyone, and it's the answer to every human heart. And all it takes, according to these verses, and we'll see this unpacked in the book of Romans, is faith. We don't have to be good monks. We don't have to do it all right. We just come to faith and receive the gift of being put right, the gift of righteousness from God through Jesus Christ. And we become whole and we begin to grow in him. Well, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, it begs the question, how about us? Are we ashamed of the gospel? I think we are. Let me suggest some ways to you that I think we tend to be ashamed of the gospel. For one, we buy into the lie too often. And I'm speaking to myself here, not just you. We buy into the lie that, you know, there's kind of other paths to God. We don't have real confidence that Jesus is the only way sometimes. And so I hear Christians real hesitant to share their faith. Why is that? I think it's because we're ashamed. We're afraid that maybe we're not right. That the gospel isn't true. And so... We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being wrong. And so it gives us an excuse to not share our faith. I think another way that we're ashamed of the gospel is we see our culture mocking Christians in the media, on TV, in the newspaper, in class, at work, in your friendships. So we clam up and we hide our faith. And we say things like, well... Hopefully they'll see it in my life. And we never share the gospel because I think deep down we're ashamed. So we never speak up. Now, I'm not suggesting that we ought to confront everybody with the gospel and just shove it down their throats. We're not called to do that. But like Paul, I think we can boldly pursue relationships and look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus because they need him. Another way we tend to be ashamed is that we know that we are sinners And that other believers are sinners and the church isn't perfect and so we're hesitant to invite people to become Christians until we get our acts together. Well, you know what? Dr. Benershka hasn't even fixed my daughter's foot yet and I've been telling people, if you have a foot problem, go to him. (laughs) He knows what he's doing. We don't have to be all together. We just have to be, as John Fisher put it, one beggar telling another beggar where we found food. Don't be ashamed, but proclaim. Jesus is the answer for your boss, for that refugee family, for the prisoner, for the politician, for fill in the blank. Jesus is the answer. That's the good news. It's him. He can put us right. You've been called out of the world not to belong to a religion, but to belong to the Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus, and to serve him and share the good news. So the question for you and me this morning is, are we committed to that calling? And are we courageous like Paul? Committed to build relationships and courageous because we believe that the gospel is the good news for every human life. That's the challenge of this introduction. 
to the book of Romans. We're going to have a great journey together.